0: And all of God's people said amen. amen. Said amen again. Amen. amen. Praise God for the ministry of music this morning. Amen. 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 And that is my baby. That's mine. That's mine. If you're like, who is that? That's mine. It's mine. That's mine. Say something. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the blessing of this day, and uh, we just thank you for the privilege it is to gather and worship. And Father, we pray that you would meet us here now um, in your word, by your spirit, that you would help us to understand and that uh, you would apply this word to our hearts. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be glorified Uh, in this moment as we seek to learn from you, about you, um, for your glory and for our good. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the 135th Psalm, and there are individuals coming through the aisles with Bibles. If you don't have one, I feel really close. Let me back up. Um, Individuals coming through the aisle with Bibles, if you don't have one, um, just raise your hand. They'll give you a copy of God's Word. We're going to be in the 135th Psalm. Psalm one thirty five. When you have it, say Amen. You need a minute. Say wait a minute. If you would stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Pray me through, brother. Pray me through. Psalm 135, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and it reads thusly Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel as its own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Ah, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel." Your name, O Lord, endures forever, your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Such is the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. For the time that is ours to share, I want to think together from this thought, praise to the sovereign God. Praise to the sovereign God. One of the most terrifying experiences that one can ever have, in my estimation, is to lose control of a vehicle while behind the wheel. As a matter of fact, if you've ever been to a class or training on driving, driver's education class, or looked up a list of steps to take if you find yourself behind the wheel of a vehicle and it is out of control, the first thing that is often listed is a simple two-word imperative. Don't panic. The reason this instruction is usually given first is that panic, this overwhelming presence of fear, often has an overriding effect on other human faculties. When you are panicking, reason and logic often go down. That's why when we watch horror movies, we're yelling at the screen. Uh, the actors are portraying people who are in panic mode. You're sitting with popcorn, you're not, so you're, why would you go back upstairs? <laughs> That's dumb, right? You're, just, you're saying like little syllables of words. Because when you panic, those things kind of go out of the window. And that kind of experience of being behind uh, the wheel and losing control, if you've ever been there, it it, it wakes you up. You ever been driving and you were sleepy and then you almost killed yourself and you just up? (laughs) Alert. Don't need nothing else. But this this, this feeling of panic, right? this sense of overwhelming fear comes to us because we were under the illusion that we were first in control of something, and now we're out of control of something. As a matter of fact, the phrase losing control or I lost control is really effective. It's an imaginative. It's the sense of control. It's the feeling of control. And when you lose control, you are reminded of this fundamental fact that you and I really are never truly in control. That, 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 that the sense that we had when we were behind the wheel and we were turning to the left and the car went to the left and turning to the right and the car went to the right and we wanted to speed up. We stepped on the gas. We wanted to brake. We stepped on the brake. It felt like we were in control. And then something reminds us that we ain't got nothing under control. And that's often how life is, right? I feel like I'm in control of my career. I feel like I'm in control of my relationships. I feel like I'm in control of my health. And we're often reminded in very abrupt ways that you and I are not ultimately in control. So who or what is? Is it fate? Is it chance? I uh, came across randomly uh, the memory of one who is uh, no longer with us, Uh, You might recall her. Her name was Miss Cleo. Uh, You probably don't know, but Miss Cleo used to come on TV at about 2 (laughs) a.m. And she used to tell you to call her now for your tarot card readings. Does that give us a sense of being in control? And no shade if you've ever done that. You shouldn't be doing that, but no shade if you've ever done that. Who or what is... In control. It is that great French theologian himself, the reformer, who reminds us in his work that he began in the 16th century at the late age of 27, 28, uh, the institutes of the Christian religion, he opens up telling us that there are two types of knowledge that are of most importance, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. And if you're ever going to learn anything about anything in this life, you want to leave this life knowing who God is and knowing who yourself is in relationship to that God. Calvin makes this point that I think is so important for us to understand that he says this, you really can't come to an accurate understanding of yourself until you come to an accurate understanding of God. That the right knowledge of God must precede the knowledge of self says you don't really understand who you are until you have first contemplated the divine. So knowing God becomes important, knowing who he is, what he is like, his characteristics, his attributes. And thankfully, we're not left to our own devices to construct those things. The word of God tells us, God reveals himself to us. First, in, in, in his created order, there's things that, that, that speak of him. Psalm 19 tells us that, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. But then there's a special kind of revelation that he has granted you and I in his word that he wants us to be clear who he is. These attributes, these things that we accord to describe uh, God's character and who he is, they are many. And there's one that this particular psalm today, I think, speaks to, and we're going to unpack it and look at it. It's God's sovereignty. This sense of of God having all authority, this sense of of God being in control, his providence being an implication of his sovereignty. The sovereignty of God, understanding what that means and why it is important. The psalmist is going to remind us of its importance in the life, not only of our knowledge of God, but of knowledge of ourselves. And then he's going to issue a call for us in light of that knowledge. We've We've been singing good today, Amos. Uh, because we've been, we've been, we've been given praise to God and we've been throwing up hallelujahs and all these things. That's, that's how our text begins. Look there, the 135th Psalm, it begins with an imperative to praise the Lord. It's a command. It's not dependent on how you or I feel, what's going on in our particular situations. It's a command, it's an imperative to praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalmist wants us to know at the outset that we're talking about God and his essence. Again, who he is, what he is like, the God as revealed in the Scriptures, the God in this particular instance as revealed to the people of Israel. Praise that God. Now, this open imperative to praise is a call to both individuals in this particular passage to stand and do the priestly work. But it's a call broader than that to the lay people. It's priests and lay people are called to give praise to God for who he is. Now, one of the things that's important about this psalm and interesting is that for the rest of the psalm, it goes into reasons for why you and I ought to praise God. So almost 80% of the psalm is devoted to giving us reasons. Here is why we ought to praise God. Now what's crazy about that is, we shouldn't need any, re- right, like, the imperative to praise God, the psalmist is already anticipating, for what? It, 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 it's it's a, a reflection of our own status, as individuals who, who forget who God is and what he has done. My, my, my youngest, who was, who was just crying uh, a minute ago, uh, just 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 ain't grateful for nothing <laughs> nothing and he has this thing that his 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 caretaker throughout the week has told us about and we told her we know he does it i don't know where he got it from but whenever he's done drinking something he reaches his hand out and throws it down <laughs> one of those And my four-year-old really doesn't understand all that is done for him, just wakes up and expects stuff to be where it is. Daddy, where are my clothes? What you mean, where your clothes? You pay for any clothes lately? It's this sense of audacity, that sense of, of 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 taking for granted the things that 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 come to us. And the psalmist wants you and I to not not get to that point. He reminds us of the reasons for praising God. The grounds for the exhortation. And the opening grounds that he opens with is a really simple one, but it's good to rehearse. The Lord is good, verse 3. My Lord, that's him again. (laughs) Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. He's good. I, I, as I, as I was reading over this passage, and I, I said, okay, how can I, how can I, how can I unpack goodness in a new way, in an interesting way, and I, and I came up with nothing. And it, 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 God was almost like, it's, I'm just good. How can I explain it to myself so that it picks me up in a new way? You ever come to the text and you're like, Lord, just show me something new so I won't fall asleep on you. And he's like, no, 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 I'm just good. It's goodness that woke you and I up this morning. It's his goodness that allows us to come here and worship corporately. It's his goodness that allows us to be in the particular states of mind that we are in. It's his goodness that keeps you. It's his goodness that gives you things that you don't deserve and keeps from you things that you do deserve. That's a a reflection of his goodness. We call those things mercy and grace, but it all flows from a good God. Praise the Lord because or for he is good. Sing to his name for it is pleasant. That means it causes satisfaction. That this isn't the primary grounds for the reason to praise God, but it's an implication of it. Praising God, the psalmist reminds you, ought to make you feel good. It's a pleasant experience. I uh, used to live in Connecticut, and I was an uh, a undergraduate campus minister at Yale. And I was there doing graduate work, but I was an undergraduate minister, and uh, we had a retreat. We were taking these undergrads on a retreat, a spiritual retreat, to kind of before school started to get them revived and, you know, feeling good about the Lord. And um, I didn't feel like going. And uh, I was tired and I just wasn't really in it. And the first night after we had done our devotionals, and after we had done our songs and uh, the students were about to get ready for bed, uh, a couple of the guys stayed around and they wanted to talk. And so I was just like, what's up? And uh, one of the guys says, you know, no, I'm just, I'm, you know, I was just sitting thinking about all that we've been discussing all day. And he was just like, it's, it's so good. And I was just like, it's good. It's good. And he said, you know, it just it reminds me of this song. And he said, I don't remember the word. Words, I don't remember the name of the song, but I remember the words. And he starts he starts singing. A mighty fortress is our God. And he can't sing. And uh, and so he starts singing a mighty fortress. But, he, but check this. Another guy hears this guy singing, comes in and starts singing with him. And so I'm like, well, I can't just be totally unsaved in this moment. (laughs) So I'm like, a bull worth never fail. Right? I have to join in. (laughs) So it's just us three in this little cabin in the woods at night singing the mighty fortress. And we just going through the words and and, and, and I just really want to stop, but I keep going, and, and, and Amos, it starts getting good. And so we start looking at each other and smiling at each other, and I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> and we're smiling, and we're cheesing, and ain't none of us can sing, and we going into the second verse. And we sing this whole song, a cappella. And, and I... I enjoyed it. It literally brought me satisfaction. And when it was all done, it, it felt so weird that I was just like, all right, right on. You know, y'all going y'all off to bed. Because we didn't know what that was. But, but Paul talks about this in Ephesians and Colossians, right? Sing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it was an, I'll never forget it because, again, I went into it not feeling it. But by, but by the time we got into it, I couldn't stop. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord because it is, it is pleasant. It brings you satisfaction. And how many of you have come in here feeling all kinds of ways? And Amos up here with his golden smile. He's like, hey, come on, guys. He's like, oh, A- oh, Amos. But it picks you up, doesn't it? And you hear the singing of the people around you, and, it, and it's almost like God is saying, I'm not gonna let you stay down there. And it, and it gets good to you. The psalmist says, Sing to the Lord because it is pleasant. And then he goes into a series of things that I put under the heading, reasons rather, that I put under the heading for his sovereignty. It's going to spend the bulk of our time here for his sovereignty. Look at verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. This is another reason. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Praise him for his sovereignty, verse 4, in election. We 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 serve a choosing God. We don't serve a, a passive God, but God is active. God is actively involved. He's not in process. He's not seeing things as they arrive on the scene like we see things. He's not catching up on our circumstances and situations in our lives. He is actively involved. God not only just pushed the ball of creation, but he is now monitoring that ball as it rolls along. He's directing it and orchestrating it and guiding it. He is actively involved in his creation. You want a God like that, You don't want a God who's just figuring out what happened to you when it happened to you. You don't want a God where you approach God and, God, I hope you're sitting down, and he's like, wow, what happened? What happened? And we often, our emotional response to God often treats him like he's that kind of God. We often forget that God sits outside of time and space and he sees beginning, middle, and end. God is seeing this whole panoramic field. He's calling all the plays. Football season has started back up. I don't want really to care for it too much. But in football, there's a coach on the field. You typically know who that person is. But there's also a coach in the skybox. And the coach on the field is wearing these big headphones. He's often talking into them, might be cussing into them. And the person who he's talking to is his coaches in the skybox. And the coach on the field is relying on the coach in the skybox to tell him what's really going on, to give him instructions. Because the coach on the field realizes that the coach in the skybox can see the whole field. They have a panoramic view of what's going on. And the coach on the field will behoove him to take in, him or her to take instruction from the coach in the skybox because they have a higher view. They see the bigger picture. To bring the coach on the field, the coach in the skybox, down to the level of the coach in the field is to reduce the utility of that person. To bring God down to our level is to reduce his utility in your life. You don't want God just finding out when you find out. You want God to know what's around the corner before I approach the corner. You want God to know what's up ahead before I reach that point. And thankfully, the God of the Bible is such a God. God is not watching traffic intersections, like catching his breath every time somebody runs. Craig, you almost messed it all up. God is not caught off guard by the things you and I go through. But God is actively involved in orchestrating, He's tailor-making, to put it another way, your life's experiences. And here in the text, we understand a particular facet of that tailoring is God's sovereign choosing. The songwriter reminds the the, the reader, and he reminds you and I that this God in redemptive history, made choice of Jacob, made choice of Israel, same person, made choice of this people, that God decided in and of himself that he would choose Abram, known as Abraham in Genesis 12, that he would make promises to this individual, that those promises would carry on through Isaac and carry on through Jacob and through the 12 tribes. God initiated this. And listen to what he says about this choice in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Look at what he says. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, 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 so the writer here. Uh, Moses, he he has to remind this people before they take on the promised land uh, why God chose them. And he doesn't want the people to get it twisted and think that, that God chose them because of something in and of themselves. But the writer says, no, no, no. God chose you just because he wanted to love on you specifically. that that he just graciously decided to set his love on you, that this covenant that he instituted was in and of himself a decision that he said, I'm going to carry through. This covenantal arrangement initiated by God and brought to fulfillment by God foreshadows the status of the new covenant believer as one who has also been elected by God. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning at the third verse. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4 of Ephesians 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before God. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's another way of saying because he wanted to. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul says if you, if you are a part of the people of God, you, you have been chosen before the foundations of the world. He has, he has made the decision that he was going to once Institute rather, he was going to initiate your salvific experience. See, if you are not a Christian here this morning, I want you to hear this. It is tempting to think that what God's word says here about his foreordination or about his election, it is tempting to think that what God's word says about this forecloses the possibility of you being saved. If you're not a Christian, it is tempting to hear this and say, Well, he's already chosen. No chance. But rather, I want you to hear this as an invitation. Because the people, God's people, who are described as having been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, are all of those who would ever repent and place their faith in Jesus, not just in the past, but even today. If you have today, and you're not a Christian, the way you make that promise effectual for your own life is you repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. It is this Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfectly righteous life before the Father, lived the life that you and I could not live, dies a death that you and I deserved resurrected, proving that all that he ever said and done was true, and that God had accepted his payment. This Jesus Christ, placing your faith and trust in him, grants you entrance into that kingdom. You know what the truth of God's election means? Only way I could put it. It means that Jesus Christ was not on the cross with his fingers crossed, saying, I hope this helps somebody. Truth of God's election means that when Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, he is substituting himself for a particular people, that it is death on behalf of someone else. That Jesus is not just hanging there holy, harmless, and undefiled because he's trying to open up the possibility of people being saved. He's hanging on the cross to save people. So if you are, if you are a believer here today, understand what that means. That, that at that moment, He has you in mind. Not the possibility of a you, but you in mind. And if you're not a Christian here today, that moment can be applied to your life as well. If you will but repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible declares that he is the only way to the Father, that you and I have a righteousness deficit, that, that, that there is no way we could, ever, we could ever live the life that is deserving of one who would be reconciled with the Father. But Christ lives that life on our behalf, and he dies the death that we deserve. When I place my faith and trust in him, the Father grants me, credits me his righteous life. In other words, if, you, if you're not a Christian here today, the Father will treat you as if you live Jesus' life, he credits his life to your account. And the terrible life that all of us have lived is nailed to the cross with him. This is the exchange that, that, that you and I desperately need. There, there is no other hope. So I want you to hear this today, that, that God's sovereign electing purposes can be good news for you if you do not know Him today. God has sovereignly chosen, but this this sovereignty doesn't just extend to the choices of salvation that that we are referring to, but this sovereignty extends over all of creation. Look at verse 5. He says, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. The sovereignty of God is his free exercise of his supreme authority in executing and administrating his eternal purposes. I'm going to say it again. The sovereignty of God is the free exercise of his supreme authority in executing and administrating his eternal purposes. I call this divine prerogative. Now, many of us haven't heard the word prerogative since a prophet named Bobby Brown started singing about his own prerogative. That's not where the word prerogative started. Bobby didn't make that up. But divine prerogative means that God does whatever he pleases. And here's how the Bible talks about God doing whatever he pleases. When God wants to make a decision, he, he has a consultation meeting. Uh, he, he, he has a conference call with himself. The Bible says that he he accomplishes everything after the counsel of his own will. That means he confers with himself. And the decision that is made out of that conference is good always. See, what happens when you and I confer with ourselves? It's terrible. (laughs) And we'll pace the floor all night long. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go into work tomorrow and I'm going to tell them this. But when God sets to accomplish his purposes according to his own will, you know that it is good. Just listen to the Bible here. As I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah 14:24. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. Isaiah 46:10. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. I'm going to read that again because I like the way it sounds. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God says, what I said, it's going to come to pass. In other words, God says, I don't speak and then look and see how it turns out. I speak and I go sit down. It's not coming back. It's going to do whatever I sent it to do. But check this. It's going to do it in his timing. Oh, that's what we get caught up at. That's what we have issues at. It's like, God, I believe your word. I believe you have all power. I believe you're God and God all by yourself. But what we have problems with <laughs> is when it doesn't happen on our timetable. God, what are, what are you doing? But the text says God is sovereign over all of creation. He does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. God says, that comes from me. God says, I'm sovereign over nature. Apropos, in a troubling sense, you think about Florida this week, right? That's not just happening by happenstance. The God of the Bible is sovereign over that. He's like, well, how, what, what, how, what do I mean? How do I reconcile that? What, what, how, how do I make sense of that? It means that if the God of the Bible is sovereign even over that, then I am left with nothing but to trust him. That's all I'm left with. To trust that the God of the Bible who is good, who is just, who is righteous, All of the things that he has said about himself, even in those things that I don't understand, I'm called to trust him because he's sovereign and I'm not. Our hearts are tempted to to play the uh, if I was God game. We would never say it to God like that. I mean, we would never pray, you know, God, if I had, we would never say it. But we're often are thinking in ways, well, if I was God, what I would do is. And I, and I, and I want us to, to settle to 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 really feel the the like the awful sinfulness of that, right? Like, well, if 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 it was me, and if it was it was if it was my decision, what I would do is, as if our own decision making apart from God over the course of our own lives has been a good track record. But the God of the Bible challenges you and I to see who he is, to feel who he is, and then to be pushed and pressed to trust him. He doesn't just back off of it here. He says, look, it is he who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. That, that, that the, the, the writer is reminding the Hebrews that, that that God was reigning sovereignly over their redemption. He struck the firstborn down in Egypt, both of man and of beast, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down the nations that as they were brought out, and the, the, book, uh, the book of Numbers kind of chronicles this, that they are passing through all of these other kingdoms. And as they are passing through all these other kingdoms on the way to the promised land, they interact with hostile forces. And the, the, the writer reminds them that it is God who, who, who helps them in those moments. The Amorites, Og, it is God who, with the people of Israel serving as their God, reigning and ruling over them in a direct sense that God is their God. They are his people. God is using them to institute his judgment. It is God who is driving all of these people out. And he says, and it's this God who gave their land as a heritage to his people. You read accounts of the Exodus story, you see something really interesting. The Bible will declare that Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible will also declare that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see all throughout the scriptures, these very interesting moments where you see human responsibility and divine sovereignty sitting side by side. And our finite minds in this moment, and I pondered this question and sat and thought about it and tried to reconcile it, but our finite minds want, want a reconciliation for that which is not to be reconciled in our finite minds. That there are often things revealed in the scriptures that sit side by side and live in tension, and we have to live with that. Here, here is what we often go to, and again, in our sinfulness. Well, it must be wrong then something's wrong. It's like you were born two minutes ago. But this is is how we often respond. Doesn't make sense. But we're called to live in the tension because it, 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 it seems right to me that there will be things about God that I truly don't fully understand. That, that, there, that there, there is some mystery left. He has revealed himself and all that you and I need to know for salvation and purposes of faith. He has let us know all that is required for life and godliness, but there is yet a mystery to God. Amen. You don't get saved and then all the answers just come flooding. You get saved and more questions start coming. But it it would make sense that the God of the Bible, as he's described, who created the heavens and the earth, who counsels and consorts with himself, it would make sense that his ways would be higher than my ways. And his thoughts would be higher than our thoughts. That we see human action, human action and decision sitting right next to God's divine purposes. We see this in the, from the story of Joseph to Jesus on the cross. He makes the sun rise and he sends rain, Matthew 5. He feeds the birds, Matthew 6. He knows when a sparrow falls. In addition to the number of hairs on our head, Matthew 10. He governs the events of human history and of each of our lives. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, Proverbs 21. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord, Proverbs 16. Another way of saying we roll dice, God's the one who knows what it's going to land on. Only God knows that. You read Psalm 139 and see what it says about, about us as individuals who were formed and shaped in the womb and what he knows about us, his intimate knowledge of us, that he sets our days, they're numbered for us. This is the sovereign God of the Bible. But not only that, we not only praise him for his sovereignty and all these things, we praise him for his exclusivity. Look at verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever, your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. That is an important passage there in this 135th Psalm. The psalmist says, look, the Lord is going to vindicate his people. That means that there is going to be a reckoning to all of this. All of these things that are seemingly happening by happenstance, and all of the perhaps pain and strife and questions, Scripture says, no, don't, don't trip. The Lord's going to vindicate you, that, that, that all of this is, isn't, isn't happening by happenstance, that, 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 that this is all going to make sense when it's time for it to make sense. That, that there is gonna be a reckoning, that there is gonna be a vindication, that that all that you and I endure in this life is not all for naught. Psalmist makes a contrast. This is a God who vindicates. This is a God who has compassion. And he goes into the 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 really the silliness of serving idol gods. Look at verse 15. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. These are not pre-existent things. They're the work of human hands. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't do much of this today, or at least it's not as popular as it was in that day. But, but when you were, you were worshiping an idol god, you fashioned your idol god. You, you spent time on it, you built it. You nailed it together and pieced it together and set it up somewhere so that you can worship. How pitiful is that? That's like going to Ikea, getting a $12 table, putting it together, missing some screws, not following the instructions, and then setting it up and worshiping it. These things were, were made by human hands, that you, you fashion this. And look, look, look now what it says about them, verse 16. They have mouths, but they don't speak. There is no revelation. They have eyes, but do not see. There is no providence. There is no sovereignty. There is no control. That's him again. They have ears, but do not hear. There is no communion with an idol. You talking to yourself. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Look at verse 18. Those who make them become like them. What is that? Spiritually useless. So do all who trust in them. Now, let's make this relevant because, you, you know, when I read stuff like this, I'm like, well, well, praise God, you know, I don't build nothing and worship nothing, you know. You're like, that ain't me. Moving on. Oh, but we, 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 we have idols, We fashion things and make things of great importance when they really ought not be that important. I know I do it. Our hearts are our idol factories. That's Calvin. I didn't make that up. Our hearts are idle factories. That we're constantly tempted to give things adulation and worship that ought not be given that. Perhaps it is a career or an academic degree or a credential. What's up, Asa, I see you. We we gon' finish in Jesus' name. Pursuing these PhDs, I don't know why. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our kids. Cause I can't block that out. We give things weight. And importance and we hold them tightly when I think the scriptures press us to yes be thankful and yes live faithfully in the moment but hold this world loosely we don't know how to do that we have to ask God to help us do that because there are things in this world that really matter I get it you don't have a job you want a job And it can be frustrating when you come to church and people trying to encourage you and you ain't got no job. And they are like, oh, it's going to be all right. And they go to their job on Monday. I know what that, I know. You want to be married, still single, married person come up to you. Oh, it's going to be all right. And they go home with thighs in their bed. I get it. Let's keep it real, okay? <laughs> A lot of y'all singers will be looking at married folks like, what, what you know? You are warm at night. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> These things matter. I get it. They take on importance. But then what we're challenging in those moments, right, is to hear God saying they're not of up. Uh, most importance God said look look, don't don't let that cloud your vision of, of who I am don't let whether or not that works out the way you want it to adjust how you feel about me because we're often responding to God depending on how that thing is going right Says no, no, no. These these idols don't. They don't have the attributes that that the God of the Bible has. Those who make them become like them. Trusting in them is silly because you become spiritually useless. Let me say this: sovereignty of God is a deep and dense biblical truth. Its implications are boundless. The questions that flow from it are endless. And it, again, has boggled the mind since it was discovered, as it were, in God's revelation. If this is unsettling for you, as it sometimes is for me, a God who chooses, a God who, again, sends lightning and wind and strikes down firstborns all for his own purposes because it is what he pleases to do. Remember in that moment that it also pleased the father to crush his only son. Can't talk about God doing things according to his own pleasure without talking about all that he has done according to his own pleasure. And Isaiah says of all the things that it pleased him to do, it also pleased him to crush his son for you. That God isn't a God who just takes whimsical pleasure in things that make no sense. He is working out human history and will bring it to its according end in its own time. But this is also the God who was pleased to send his son to die for you. So if I'm going to reject the sovereign God, I have to reject that sovereign God. But if I embrace the sovereign God, I embrace a God who, yes, does what he pleases, including saving wretches like you and I. So then what are we, what are we called to do? The psalm issues forth with a call to praise, and it concludes with the same. Oh, house of Israel, bless the Lord. You know, what, what do you do with doctrine like this? Because in some of our contexts, what we do with doctrine like this is we get online and argue about it. That's not the point. It's not the point to take these kind of deep truths about God and and flush them out philosophically so that we can debate and, and be boastful about what we have come to know about God. No, God wants you to take this truth about his sovereignty and go sit and trust him. God reveals himself as sovereign just so that he can let you know that when all of the world seems like it's out of control, remember, I got control. That when you walk out of here on Monday and on Tuesday and life is looking like it's swinging and hitting you back and forth, God says, remember, I am in control. I'm orchestrating that thing. I have a purpose for that thing. So God says... Yes, God. God says, trust me. Even when you can't what? Trace me. Somebody been in church. Even when you have no idea what he's doing, God says, I need you to trust me. What if it doesn't make sense? You can't figure it. You can't register it. God says, I need you to trust me. And I'll leave you with this. Here's what... As I was reading through this, the things that typically cause me the most angst, I mean just upset stomach angst, are things that have to do with this life. The things that would keep me up at night when I should be getting my sleep because I can't do anything about what I'm up worrying about. And footnote, because I I I, came, I realized this recently. You ever notice that there are certain type of commercials that come on at night yeah. that are tailored to particular kind. Con- that they're, they're uh, you know why they're on at two a.m. Because typically people who are up worrying about life are up at two a.m. It it's tailored for the type of mind that is anxious about something and wanting to increase their state in life. So. Come buy this or come do this. But I'm often, I'm often set adrift by things of this life. But here it is. I, I, I'm often not thinking about the things of utmost importance. Let me put it another way. I don't worry that God like, has my soul. Like, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think about that often. I worry about that bill for that speeding ticket that I just got. I worry about that. I don't worry whether or not I'm going to be fully sanctified. Man, I don't spend time reflecting on that and thinking about that. I worry about things in this life. And isn't it interesting that, 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 that we have given to God the things that are the most important? We don't lose sleep about it because we know he's got them. But we say, God, I really wonder whether or not you got this bill, though. And God is saying, no, no, if you're going to trust me with what, what is most important, know that I got this $59. <laughs> Student loans, just pay Sally her $20 and keep it moving. But I often have those inverted. And God is like, you worried about that. Like, is that. That's not that. And I got that, so I got this. And I'm challenged in that moment to say, God, you know what? You're right. I trust that I've been justified in Christ. I trust that you're sanctifying me by his spirit. I trust that you're going to glorify me with a glorified body. I don't even know what that all means, but I trust you're going to do it. So do you trust me with the affairs of this life? The pain, the trauma, the strife, the questions. Do you trust me with that? Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we see that you are a sovereign God here, Lord, and we there's so much there. So Father, I pray that through all of the questions and through all of the inquiry that you would press our hearts toward how this psalm opens and ends, and that's in a call to praise. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you, the sovereign God who is always in control. Things big and small, things seemingly irrelevant, things of major importance, God, you are orchestrating it all. Help us to know what it means that you know the number of hairs on our head. What is that? What does that even mean? Help us to feel the the great weight of the awesomeness of that kind of knowledge. And let it again move our hearts to trust you and to rest in you, even when things seem like they are restless. Father, I pray if there's one in here who does not know you, that they would hear the fact that you are sovereign and you are a God who sovereignly chooses, that they too can be counted in that number if they would but today repent and believe. Father, I pray that you would do that work in their hearts, that you would quicken them, give them spiritual life, that they might see their sin and their need for the Savior, that you would do it in them for their good and for your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.